Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are across the globe. We are your hosts, Sean Alvari, and yours truly, Shai Jalier, and you're about to experience the S2 effect. Roll the intro. Sean, Champions League, Bayern Munich, uh, basically cementing themselves in history. Sevilla winning the Europa, cementing themselves in history. Uh, Champions League on the women's side, PSG versus Arsenal, just a lot of great football um, and allows us to kind of segue into our guest for this episode. I cannot begin to tell you what an honor and uh, how excited I am to to have this player, in my opinion. She's probably uh, one of the greatest uh, female athletes, um, and we are just uh, elated to have her join us. She's a decorated 10-year career, has taken her from the WPS, England, Sweden, Germany, uh, circled back to the US and the NWSL. Um, 135 caps, I could be wrong, but that's what her Wikipedia page says. Uh, <laughs> and four World Cups. Ali Riley, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and it's so great to see you. You didn't mention, of course, the, uh, the semi-pro league where we met with the Pali Blues, which was, you know, I think my first championship. So yeah, we, we have a good history together as well. That's right, that's right. I didn't want to put that feather in my cap. <laughs> I got you. It, it is a uh, tremendous memory of mine as well. And I just remember, again, what a consummate professional you were from a very young age and uh, how quick and how fit you were. And I just knew that uh, the world was going to be your oyster. So thank you. Excited to, to follow your uh, career path. Allie, let's just jump right in. Um, you know, I think it's a bit of a, a unique story. Uh, you're born and raised in Southern California, uh, but the game is just taking you all over the world. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, how much time do you have? Let's see. So it started out, I guess, pretty, pretty. I don't want to say normal. What is normal? But um, I guess typical for a Southern California girl growing up um, in LA, playing for the West Side Breakers. Um, started training with Beast Mode Soccer, got in with the Pally Blues my senior year of high school, um, was recruited to play at Stanford. But my dad is from New Zealand, so I started playing for the New Zealand national team uh, my senior year of high school. And, you know, I never had any call-ups with the U.S. national team, any of the youth teams, ODP, and that was kind of, you know, the only path at that time. Um, so when I had this chance to play for New Zealand, I just you know, I took it and to play at a World Cup in 2007 um, between my freshman and sophomore years of college was a dream come true and put me on this very unique path playing for the New Zealand national team as a girl from Los Angeles. And I guess I think that gave me the confidence when I did get drafted to play in the WPS after my senior year at Stanford, where we, we lost in the final to North Carolina. And 
a bunch of those girls. I think if there was a more decorated team than the Stanford team, it has to be the UNC team that has continued to be successful and, and with a coach that's continued to be successful. But I have to say Stanford has done pretty well in the past few years. But when the league folded two years later, you know, and, and it was probably the best two years of soccer that I had ever experienced. And it's not surprising considering I was playing with Alex Morgan, Christine Sinclair, Ashlyn Harris, Yael Averbush, um, I mean, Martha, Caroline Sager, the list goes on and on and on, you know, from those two years. And then to have that experience and then have the league fold um, is a pretty shocking life event. And a lot of girls definitely chose to stick around in the U.S., but I think because I had had that experience of traveling all the time and, you know, I just hopped on a plane and went to Australia the first time to try out for the New Zealand national team when I was, I guess, 17, 18. So I figured, you know, at, at 24, why not just try to find a team to play for overseas because I was getting ready for the 2012 Olympics with New Zealand. So when this opportunity came up in Sweden, I knew nothing about Malma, nothing about the team I was going into. I didn't know any of the girls there, but I figured, you know, I love the game. I want to be playing at the highest level. And if that's not in the U.S., I have to do it overseas in Europe. So got onto this team here in Malma, played Champions League. I think we made it to the quarterfinals every year that I was here. And we won the league three times, the cup, I also think three times. And I fell in love with the country, with European football. I developed my game so much. And after playing six and a half seasons in Sweden, headed over to Chelsea. What an amazing experience there as well. It just really opened my eyes to kind of what, what it can be like for a female professional now in this era, which didn't exist earlier. And from there, after last year's World Cup, I went over to Bayern and I, was, I had a two-year contract there, but the U.S. was just calling me, you know, and Mark Skinner, we had been in a little bit of contact and he was the coach at Birmingham when I was at Chelsea and I was missing my parents and kind of getting this feeling like the NWSL was, was the place for me again. And with the allocation money coming in, and I don't know, we'll talk a little bit about the, the direction, the progress the women's game has made, but it just was an offer I couldn't, I couldn't turn down. So headed over to Orlando just in time for Corona to hit. So that really threw a spanner in the works if my career wasn't already super crazy and ended up not being able to play in the tournament that just happened. Coming back to Malma, being loaned out to my original European team here in Malma, and we are now sitting at the top of the table after our game last night. So if I look tired, it's because I could not sleep. I was just so thrilled to be back in action, playing games, and, and just overwhelmed a sense of gratitude after you know the twists and turns of, of my career, also everything with Corona, and to be back here in a place where I call home and speaking to you. So that kind of takes us to August 2020. Allie, your journey is so great and it's so inspiring for a lot of the, the young female athletes. My thing is, I know when you become established and start people start giving you options to take and it's a little bit of an mm -hmm. easier path you fall into. I want to kind of, what's the message you have for 
young athletes, young female athletes that have parents that don't know the game uh, of football, soccer, and they want them to get on that path. If it's the Stanford University to get their foot into the door with, if it's uh, getting to Europe, if it's playing at the highest level here, I think the game is growing. What are those um, messages you would have for those kind of families and players? This is a good question. And I also have a podcast called Girls with Balls and I interview my, my colleagues in the women's game. And I always ask this question, you know, is college soccer necessary? And it's funny because it's, it's a question I can only ask Americans or Canadians or someone who's, you know, played in the NCAA system. And my perspective has completely changed in terms of if you want to make it as a professional player or as a national team or both, there are so many ways to reach that now. And I would never have said that before. I really thought that going to college, getting those four years in, that's such a professional environment, great coaches. And then from there, that's where you'll probably get noticed by the, at least the U.S. national team being in the, in the country. But also now with the games being televised and filmed, I mean, coaches from all over Europe, all over the world can now have access to seeing you. There are agents now working in every country, speaking every language that will reach out to you. Um, that being said, I think a college education is very, very important, at least as an American, and at least with the wages we are currently being paid all over the world. If you want, you know, there's, there, there may be a few players. Um, we're looking at the U.S. national team, certain players. We know that Lyon, we know that maybe Arsenal, Chelsea, potentially Man United, Man City, Wolfsburg are starting to pay these really big sums. Not everyone on those teams. Even then, I think there's probably less than 1% of players will, would not have to work a day in their lives when their careers are over. So having options is really important. But just looking at the football side of things, I think for any Europeans or players who have this pressure to go to college or to play for a certain professional team, I think there is no right path. There's no right college. Yes, you can go to Stanford. You can go to a UNC. If you don't play a minute, will that really be beneficial to you? Maybe, but I don't know. Or going to a school not really enjoying it. Yes, you play every minute, but you're not happy. Again, I think there's something to be said about kind of trial and error. Look, you know, I went over to Chelsea, wasn't a perfect fit, was over at Bayern Munich. Obviously, it wasn't the perfect fit in that I really felt like I would enjoy being in Orlando more, and that was really calling to me. So I think even, you know, having this dream of playing for the U.S. national team and that being the end-all, be-all, and that being, you know, the, the, the one thing, the one goal – I think now a lot of players have shown, and I spoke to Yael Averbush about it, um, and I was listening to a podcast with the Mua sisters and Christie's success, and I think there's definitely something to be said now about the professional women's soccer player, and you can get sponsored, and you can do really well for yourself, you can make money, and you can be happy, and you can be really proud of what you're achieving without necessarily making national teams. So I think there's so many different ways to be successful now and so many different paths to take to reach that goal. Fantastic. That actually segues into my next question because uh, although it's clearly clear the game has grown exponentially and uh, 
definitely the women's side of the game is it's it's in our face. There's much more exposure. Um, can you give us some insight to maybe the the difficulties that uh, the female professional player has to go through? And then you know, and on top of that, uh, maybe some advice for coaches or administrators to be agents of change in this process. How can we help the game and help the women's game grow as well? I think there are a lot of challenges that we're facing. A lot of it comes from when we compare it to the men's game. When you look at the salaries they're earning, the prize money UEFA, FIFA are paying them, the sponsorship, the media attention, I think the exposure, the, the games, the amount of games you can find on TV, I think there's such a long way for us to go. But we saw at the 2019 Women's World Cup the excitement, I think the statistics, it was like record numbers of, you know, with the viewership and jerseys were being sold out. And, and we're not even just talking about soccer here. Look at the, the WNBA, you know, the progress they've made this season, the excitement around it. And I think one of the things that people can do with coaches or, um, yeah, like you said, administrators on the women's side, the girls' side. I think it's so important to encourage these young players to watch the women, to show that there is a demand for it. And I think the more we're pushing for, we want to be seeing the French League, the Swedish League, the English League. We want to have access to these players and to these games, making sure that you know, when, when a Champions League game is going, when the NWSL has a tournament that you are subscribing and watching those games to prove to these networks that there is demand, that there is a market for women's soccer. The other side of things, which, look, I don't think the women's game should have to change at all to deserve to be invested in, but I do know that the more skillful we are the faster we are the more exciting the games are i don't think we should and we will have a game identical to the men's game and and the beauty of the women's game is that it is different but i think the more that we can encourage coaches you see what yael averbush is doing with technique football getting the game more skillful more technical and we saw a lot of it in the women's world cup and i think that did actually affect the excitement and and the the viewership in such a positive way so i think the more coaches are can understand the game both the physicality i know in the u.s we talk a lot about athleticism but i love that it's moving you look how the u.s national team plays today versus 10 15 years ago and you can see teams like spain who are doing really well italy and they play this really great technical style that a lot of men's viewers are used to seeing. So again, I wanna reiterate, I don't think that we should have to change anything to deserve to be invested in, to deserve to be watched, but it won't, it won't hurt. So I think encouraging the, that high level of technical, technical ability, tactical understanding of the game, everything that on the men's side is so ingrained and maybe less in the United States than, than in Europe and South America and other countries. But I still think there's a lot more attention paid from a young age to boys, soccer players, understanding and ability versus the girls. And again, coaches, parents, if you want to help, you know, 
push this game forward, then we have to have, have that same level of attention at a young age for our girls. Ali, you know, I totally agree with you. I think the female game is unique in its own way. The only the downside of it was obviously a lot of the countries didn't have, they didn't give the freedom to the females earlier on. And the men's mm -hmm. game just has history behind it, been around longer. U.S. has a head start against other internationals just because they got the freedom to the females earlier. But now what the game is growing is you can definitely seeing it grow. I want to now bring in the social media aspect with Instagram and having so much strong, influential female athletes like yourself, like Alex Morgan, some freestylers, Yale as well, creating the Techni app to educate our young female athletes, but the males too, the male too, the families too. How can we even use these platforms like the Instagram, social media to even grow the female game that much more? It's a really interesting question, especially since it's something that's still so new. You know, there was never, I never had that access to my, my favorite players to see what they were doing. And this is where I do think that we, our generation has a responsibility and it's not, you know, it's not something that maybe we choose to be these role models to give access to everyone out there and I respect every player that wants to be more private but for anyone that is comfortable with having a public presence like myself I believe that it is our responsibility if we want to affect change if we want to inspire this next generation we need to have little girls thinking yes I want to be a professional soccer player I want to play for the national team I'm going to get a pair of soccer boots and get out there the more girls who are playing again it creates this demand it creates from the bottom up you know more girls playing that means the level will be higher and again you mentioned countries where maybe girls aren't allowed to or it's looked down upon or don't have the freedom to be playing sports and just letting them know that there is that possibility for them to see us for us to be out there i think that's so important and i love the that strong woman that that image that so many of my colleagues are really really showing out there and i think that is so important and from doing a skill video to posting highlights to doing a lot instagram live you know just answering questions being on podcasts i think the more we're out there the better and then it, i think right now we're in this interesting time where it's how much access do we want to give people for free and again, you don't have the, on the men's side, you don't have a lot of players giving interviews or communicating with fans so openly that access to players is so much higher on the women's side. So I think right now we got to find that balance between where we go from kind of the Instagram, where the, the content we're posting that is free versus being an influencer and promoting certain things which and i do think we deserve to be paid for that kind of articles um with journalists and depending on what kind of if you're doing media or podcast whatever it's like where do you go from you know doing something for free because it's something you believe in and you want to promote the game what is a side where it's a network they should be paying you for your time if you're going to be promoting a certain message so i think we're in kind of that really interesting area right now because we want to make sure that players are are 
valued um, appropriately. But I think if you look at the girls, at least in the in my generation, where we when we started playing, it was for very little money, and the the resources, everything was so different than it is today. I think we really have that perspective that helps kind of guide those decisions and also open and be really, really open to our followers and try to basically interact and encourage as many kids as possible, boys, girls from all over the world to pick up a soccer ball or at least be healthy and strong and active. Allie, I'd like to circle back around. Um, you know, obviously you have tremendous experience both uh, here and abroad. Um, and this may be a little bit difficult to put your finger on, but I think it is important that you've talked about uh, the nature of the game and how um, you believe that a more technical player would be a little bit more enticing to the, uh, to the viewership. Um, what is the coaching differences, I think, all the way from New Zealand to, and I'm sure, and I don't want a loaded question. I'm not trying to put you on the spot to say who's best or who's not, but maybe you can enlighten us on some of the differences or similarities uh, within the coaching. Yeah, absolutely. And it is very, very different around the world than just from the few countries I've played. And I've definitely noticed the difference. And I think that was one thing that was really cool where I felt that Mark Skinner, having the experience in England, in the English League, which is very, gosh, it's hard to, it's hard. There's like nuances. I think when I first, I'll, I'll back up here. When I first was in college and then transitioning to the WPS, I felt that it was a relatively smooth transition. Again, Stanford, top team. Kelly O'Hare and I both went to FC Gold Pride, Rachel Bueller, Nicole Barnhart, very familiar faces from Stanford. You know, we were comfortable in that environment, being super athletic, fast. I basically could run down the wing, pump a ball in, and someone was going to finish it. I wasn't thinking about playing it behind the back line, a cutback, a chipped ball, a lofted cross that's going to hang up in the air. I come over to Sweden, and it's like, we'll play this type of ball. You know, because otherwise the defender, you know, the, the tactics and the, the demand for these different, again, we had such a stacked team in the U.S., so I can't speak for every team, but I just think the, the technical detail was so different and at such a higher standard. Um, and they, they loved that I was so athletic to do, you know, Olympic-style lifting in the gym, but it was definitely not necessary. It wasn't common. Um, and I think why I was able to be successful was because I had that, but I very quickly had to adapt to a technical and a tactical understanding in Swedish as well of the game, stay a starter and to have success on this team. Because if I hadn't grown, if I hadn't been open-minded to the type of football they wanted to play, I don't think I would have lasted long here, especially when you're getting out in Europe and playing really different styles. And also playing team, I don't think in the U.S., and I, I didn't see it in the tournament either, like parking the bus was not really, you know, it's so back and forth and teams just go for it because they have these athletic players. Whereas when you get into Sweden as a top team, the bottom teams, they're really trying to get a point. You know, can they hold you to 0-0, zero, zero, maybe get a counterattack? And so you're having to 
find the, the gaps and play between lines when there's no space, playing the, you know, going 1v1 because you're going against two, you know, a 5-4-1. Those were never things that I had considered. So I think then moving from there to England, I think there is probably less, even less um, focus on athleticism, very, very strong tactics and the technique, you know, I was blown away. Again, I'm on a team with Fran Kirby, Ramona Bachman and, and Ji So Yun. I mean, some of these amazing players, but I think just the, the speed of the game, even the bottom teams, I, you can tell that the girls have grown up around football, have watched it, are diehard fans. They bleed, breathe, eat football, you know? And you can tell in players who were not athletic at all, still, you know, given the right timing and the right situation, they're still like, you know, leaving someone in the dust because they have that skill and that confidence. Then as the games would wear on, you see the, the fitter team and the better team usually would prevail. But I was really blown away with the kind of how even the teams were, at least from, from the, the starting point and how lower teams still really had great, great understanding of the game and technical ability. And then going to Germany, whew, I mean, these girls from the, the fitness and I know Germany has that reputation too, of like the Potsdam, you know, having these five trainings a day, getting up at 6 a.m. and running. And from what I've heard, they still do that kind of thing. Um, but even at Bayern, you know, the girls are so athletic, you know, our goalies, they're doing the VO2 max on the treadmill, getting really good scores and, you know, more training more often in the gym regularly. The, again, a team that has the reason it's, it's hard for me to speak to how other teams work. Cause I'm at the teams that have the most resources, um, the best conditions, you know, the most, the most staff. Um, but I just, playing rondos um or 5v2 uh you know in in germany was i have nightmares still about it because the one touch just behind the leg the these girls are doing things and this is players in every single position you know and it took such a long time to finally you know to catch on and just to to be ready and you know to keep that open body position and balls being pinged in and the expectation that you can handle that and on one touch be able to play someone else a good enough ball that they can play to the next person on one touch. And it was honestly, I was blown away shooting the day before a game, you know, that's common or even, even in the, in the warm up before the game, I mean, top corner every single time I've never seen that, you know, so that type of precision and it's just an expectation and being you know, a little bit verbally abused if you can't keep up because the expectations are so high. So what now circling back to Mark, I think he really grasped again. I know Orlando didn't do well last year. We, we will never know how we would have done in this tournament, but from the training I experienced and the meetings we had in that short time, I think he had that understanding. And this is what's so important for coaches in order to be successful. Um, and again, it's not just about fitting into the American style because you play in the U.S. or fitting it. You want to play the best soccer. You know, now the, the NWSL was having this like champions tournament 
where I think it was, um, didn't Leon and Man City come over and play North Carolina and was it maybe Portland? I can't remember. But anyways, and there, I think there'll be more and more of that as the years go on. So I think what he really understood was, yes, the athleticism, both for our team to be able to keep up with the other teams, um, but also wanting to build something. You can see with the players he's taking in, the players that are already there, and having that understanding and also that level of a professional environment in terms of the nutrition and having really good meals, breakfast and lunch every day, having a physio, massage, everything around it to create the type of environment that I experienced at a Chelsea, at a Bayern Munich, which I was not necessarily expecting in the U.S., but having such high standards and wanting to bring that into the American game but also knowing that there'll probably be a, a lot of transitions and wanting to create the best style that fits the players he had, the country we play in, but also the type of football that people love to watch. So that I think is a good coach that really in Europe, it's a little bit more, maybe if you play champions league, you know, yeah, we want to win the league, but we're going to have to adapt to make sure we're going to be able to go far in Europe as well. Whereas under other leagues, or if we're looking at college, high school, developing young players, you don't always think, how am I going to get the best out of my players? How am I going to set them up for a successful future? You kind of think, well, this is what I have right now. Let's go and win some games or whatever your goal is. But I think in order to, again, push the game forward and what the best coaches are doing, it's looking, what, what are the, the best um, training drills that are out there now? not not what was the best when you know 10 years ago or when I was playing and what is the best nutrition sleeping practices every little kid is on their phone now is that the best for them going to sleep the type of food that's available everything is developing so much and so I think coaches have a responsibility to stay yes yeah, stay on top of things and stay up to date and modern and also be paying attention to what the coaches and the best teams in the world are doing. Again, maybe this is a little bit dramatic if you're coaching eight-year-olds, but I think it's still something to think about. Absolutely. No, I, you know, I, the, the biggest point that you made is, is paying, paying attention holistically to the player. Uh, it's something that I think uh, maybe we missed the mark on in the U.S. is we, we, we tend to think about the group uh, without understanding how we affect each individual is what's going to help us improve the group. So that that's just great insight. Sean, did you want to add something to that? No, I mean, that was, that was fantastic insight. Uh, shifting gears a bit. Um, you are obviously a Stanford grad, um, which I, I think you've even hit the nail on the head that it's still very important in your eyes to, to have a college education. Um, we all have to look down the line uh, as players and start thinking about what's in our future. Uh, have you lent any thought? Is it, is it going to be to stay in the game? Is it going to be maybe do some commentary, some ana analysis? What, what, what's the future hold for Ali Rally? My mom asks me that every week. Um, I... There's so many things that I enjoy doing. And I think my experience, my time at Stanford, meeting so many amazing people, keeping up with, you know, people come out of the woodworks when you have something in common, whether it's going to the same college or, you know, 
going playing in the same club or now you know there are families who their kid plays at Westside Breakers where I I played and have reached out you know I think the contacts that I've made and and the people that I've met and basically being exposed to so many different jobs in there I mean there there are so many different things that that you can do and I I really I want to be around as many people as possible I want to help as many people as possible um whether that means I love, I love coaching. I love the individual aspect of coaching. I love to, um, you know, I was, I, I was being coached by Dave at Beast Mode Soccer, but I was also coaching as a Beast Mode Soccer trainer um, a long time ago. And I love that and seeing, being able to just change a little bit of someone's technique and see progress and development. I love that side of it. I could see myself being more like a technical specialist I don't think I would want to coach a team and I don't think I'll get my coaching license um on that direction but that's that's one thing I love I'm very into food I have a a food Instagram um called love to eat to love and I post healthy recipes that's another thing talking about holistic development and taking care of ourselves. I think that has changed helped me so much and especially with young girls, I think it's really important to start getting good habits at a young age in terms of eating a lot, eating the right things, um, getting your body strong and healthy. So that's been, I've loved, I, when I was playing in Sweden before, I would go out to different clubs and schools and give, you know, a, like do a public speech on, on nutrition and give advice and very basic but fun kind of low level nutrition information. That was great. Um, I've loved the, the media opportunities I've been able to do, especially when I was over in, in London. I mean, the, the Chelsea media team is the best, the best in the world. I'm, I'm sure of it. And just seeing how they worked and also kind of the access that they gave me and kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities that are out there. And again, in London and England, I think there's, such an excitement around the women's game right now. And you see everyone wanting to go to the league because the opportunities on, but also off the field in terms of getting paid to do, to have these opportunities to be on camera. You see now a lot of former players are doing punditry. You see them on TV. And I think that's so great. And that's also something that I, I think I would love to do. Um, But I, I mean, I've loved having a podcast. So I don't know. I think right now, everything I do, I, it's like, I'm doing it with, because it's on the side of, of the, of while I'm playing with the day that I don't play anymore, when I actually have the entire day to fill up, it could be something completely different. I really don't know, but I'm having fun with all of these side projects anyways. And being in the U S was also really cool. Just seeing that the professional female right now has such a big platform. People want to know what we have to say. People appreciate our opinions um, being able to be outspoken about Black Lives Matter, you know, going to the the Pulse Memorial and supporting being an ally to the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, things like that are so important to me, equally as important as building the women's game, you know? So I think hopefully when I do eventually make it back to Orlando and, and have an opportunity to play in that league, I would love to see where, yeah, things can take me. And, but I, I really like being there. I think not for all the other things I've mentioned, but because there is a platform there and I think that there, 
I could use my voice to do a lot of good. Ali, you said a lot of great things about how, you know, the university game is still necessary, especially uh, it's worked out for you um, with Stanford, going to Stanford and playing for the U.S. national team, traveling the world and playing for so many significant teams. But the game is evolving. The, the women's game is growing so significantly with social media now as a, an access. And now if you rewind your time, if you're in today's generation, a 13-year-old, <laughs> 12 year old, 14 year old, and you are killing it. You're killing the game. Okay. And you want to be the next Ali Riley, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, the face of the US soccer, and you want to take it to a different level. Um, is still Stanford and those NCAA universities the name of the game? Or would you say, knowing what you know, being a part of Chelsea, Bayern, such a big clubs, has those places been so advanced that you're like, no, if they're balling it 16, 17, they got to go into that thing. If we can go into that route a little bit. Yes, yeah, so I was speaking with um, Steph Labe on the Canadian national team. And, you know, I think it, it gave me a little bit of perspective because I don't know the U.S. national team players who – you know, left college earlier, decided not to go to college, but they're, they're killing it. So I don't think it's been an issue, but I think it's so individual. And the one thing about not going to college at all is that once you get paid to play, you never can play college soccer. And I loved every minute of all four years. That being said, I think if socially and emotionally professionally you're developed and and are comfortable playing professional and not having that kind of college bubble where you're still basically being taken care of by your parents or at least by an RA or a TA or someone if you're if you don't need that if you're ready if you and again it just so depends on the individual but there's nothing wrong with going professional right away if that is you're calling and there is something just inside you telling you that you want to play for this certain club or a certain coach. Um, and again, we, you also don't know the financial situation of anyone. And so being able to go professional and to make money can also change someone's life, a family's life. Um, so I think it, it really, really is so individual, but I think if you have the ability and financially um, the capability to go to college and at least try it, again, this is coming from maybe a more a U.S. standpoint, I think it's worth trying it. And just in case, um, and you can always go pro early, you can go into the draft, you can go overseas at any, at any time. But just knowing that if you go and then, you know, for some reason, if it doesn't work out or if you get injured, you will never be able to play college soccer. So I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth trying it if you can um, and unless you know totally that it's not for you. And, I mean, it is a very special, the social, everything around it. School is also everyone has their unique way of learning and you can you can definitely get an education without being on a college campus you can get a degree without you know going to college and in in every country it works differently but 
Um, I, for me, in terms of my development as a player, but more as a person, I think those four years, the, the students that I met from all over the world, my eyes being open to so many different cultures, um, just not knowing what I wanted to study. Again, college is good for trying different things. And I would never be the player or the person I am today if I hadn't gone there, if I hadn't met Paul, if I hadn't played with Kelly, Kristen Press. I think that was such a defining moment, the our four years for me in my development. And I think Kelly, Kristen Press, I think it was for them as well, you know? So yeah, I I love it. And again, there's only a few players though each year that can get recruited to to those types of schools. And even if you are, it might not be for you. So I again I think there's it's so individual, which I keep saying, but I I loved it. And again, if you are gonna have your future life in the U in the US and wanna have be able to get the job you've dreamed of, then they probably will want you to have a college education. Um, but you can always do it later, but you won't be able to play for your college team. No, that's fantastic. And the reason I'm saying it, because it's such a unique time with COVID, everything's going online now. And if you get used to that habit of being virtual and online, um, and you're cutting back on tuition costs or certain aspects of it, and if your game's showing that thing because the colleges from August till December, you take a little bit of a break. How much are you training where you're at currently? You know, is that going to fall behind in today's game now? That, and, and like I said, I agree with you. It's different on every individual. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that was not even thinking about COVID and how these fall seasons will now be affected. Um, and one other thing I was thinking about, I spoke to a girl at Bayern Munich who had an opportunity to play in college, but she wanted to play to play in Bayern. And she also just thought, you know, the the culture, the college culture and, and the partying and kind of the temptation and having to live with a roommate, that that just really, really wasn't for her. And I really respected that. And I had never considered that point of view because that was like my dream to have that experience. <laughs> As uh, you kind of took it to a fun little direction, I'm going to follow your lead there, Allie. Um, okay. Let's have, let's have a couple fun questions. Um, again, okay. put me on the spot. Um, best player you played against and the best player uh, you played with? And some reasons. I think it's one and the same. And, and I, always, I always have the same player. I think for me, Martha is so unique and to be at the top of her game for so many years. So with the Pally Blues, we were going down to um, the LA Soul and, and training with them when, when that team existed. And she was there and just motivated me. Like, I want to go pro. I want to get signed to this team. Ended up being that we both got signed to another team. But again, her coming to Sweden, playing against her in 2012, then her coming to my team, winning together here after winning in the US, then going back to Orlando. I think she's a player. There's a reason why we kind of, I like to say that she's following me, but there's a reason that we end up on the same teams because I think if she's going to go somewhere, I know it's because the setup is good. She's taken care of. It's professional. And I know the team is going to be good because she is fantastic. And I have so much respect for her, how hard she works. 
in Florida, I'm like, it is so hot. Everyone is dying. She's out there running and then she's playing her music and she has her YouTube show and is just such an amazing role model. She's hilarious. She's now vegan and she's cooking away and just since seeing her on the field, the things she can do that still so few players can do. And to think that she's even a few years older than me and just someone that is always pushing me and we have such a great relationship. And unfortunately I have played against her on the world stage at world cups and friendlies and tournaments um, in the Swedish league we have yet to play against each other in the American League. I hope it never happens. Um, but just someone in training, you're just like, oh, my God, please, please, please don't, like, 1v1. If I can just stop her one time, like, I'm going to write it down in my notebook. Today was a good day. Um, and just, yeah, is a phenomenal player. I remember uh, when we, we played the LA Soul, um, and she got kind of pinched to the sideline, and she was able to – uh, lifted over, uh, I think it was Nikki Washington actually at the time. Nikki did really well, closed her down, looked like she was going to have her real tight against the sideline. She just lifts the ball over. I just remember Nikki Washington turning to the bench and going, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, She's still doing that stuff. She's just crafty. Um, favorite soccer moment? I'm sure you have tons, but. I do, I do. And, and while I love, you know, accolades and stuff, I think I always remember the most random kind of more locker room, probably more inappropriate kind of memories. But um, let's see. One that stands out for the New Zealand national team would definitely be qualifying or getting out of the group in the 2012 Olympics um, to then <laughs> – play the U.S. in the quarterfinals and get knocked out. But that was the first time a New Zealand team had gotten out of the group stage, you know, at, a, a, at an Olympics. Still, you know, no senior team has done it at a, at a World Cup. But um, just to take your country somewhere that, you know, to make history for your country is, is so unbelievable. And it's something that's very unique about playing for the New Zealand national team because, you know, every – there's so many chances to make history and to inspire this entire nation of, of girls to start playing soccer. And it's something that we, we really need to keep doing. Um, and you know, the conversation is for another day in terms of the development of the game in the U S and uh, in New Zealand and how I do think we're falling behind. So having this home world cup and this opportunity with 32 teams to really get out of that group stage would be, could be a defining moment um, for the future of the New Zealand national team. So there's a lot of pressure there, but that was a moment that I will never forget when we, when we beat Cameroon to make it to the quarterfinals of the Olympics. Fantastic. Well, listen, Riley, uh, I wanted to give you uh, one last opportunity. You want to throw a shout out to anybody, anything that you're working on that we can follow you at or, Anything? Well, yeah, I mean, I actually, I am going to be interviewing Sammy Mewis on my podcast tomorrow, and then I'll have to edit it. So I'm not sure when it's going to be released, but yeah, Girls With Balls has been, you know, my baby, and I love empowering other women to share their stories and also inspire young girls um, and just talk about the things that, you know, journalists don't always report on with some of my, some of my teammates and 
opposition. Um, and also just if anyone out there, coaches or players want to find some cool, healthy recipes, check out love to eat to love. I can um, email you with the, with the, um, the handle, but yeah, other than that, I just, I'm really glad to be part of the S2 effect and uh, yeah. And keep following you guys and listening to what other, yeah. Guests you come up with and, and advice that I can learn from. Oh, fantastic. Hey, again, I appreciate your time. I know how uh, busy you are. And uh, again, it just uh, shows the level of your humility to, to carve out some time on such short notice. So it doesn't go without notice. We're, we're very thankful. Sean? Yeah, just to echo what Shai said, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. for. I know you're, you have a busy schedule. Thank you so much for making the time. And it was great dialogue. I, had, I really had fun. Um, it was good to get um, Allie Riley's perspective. And <laughs> on a lot of things. <laughs> on a lot of things. It was great. Thank you.